Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 45. Today's chat with Richard Long will be particularly interesting for you if you're curious to understand how management consultancies operate versus agencies and why they could potentially be posing a threat to your agency business. This is going to be particularly relevant if you're working in healthcare communications because Richard currently works for an independent healthcare digital agency, but also was working for a management consultancy where he was setting up the life science arm. So Richard shares insight into how management consultancies operate, what a land and expand approach looks like, and how you can differentiate yourself from any management consultancy that might be posing a threat to your client business. He's also going to share some top tips from his many years working in account management. I hope you enjoy this chat with Richard. Let's go over now. Today's episode is with a friend of mine, Richard Long. I've known Richard for quite a while now. He's the Director of Strategy and Communications at Earthware. And Earthware is an agency specializing in digital solutions for the healthcare industry. So welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jenny. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to it as well. Can you spend a few minutes, Richard, just to kick us off by explaining a bit about your background and also your current role with Earthware. Sure. So I suppose that the easiest way to kind of describe it, it's a bit like a, a Shakespearean tragedy. It's kind of got four acts in my, my sort of career, really. I sort of left school with a penchant for absolutely not going to university or further education, purely because that's what my mum and dad were desperate for me to do. My dad was a teacher, so everything was kind of geared towards doing that. So I ended up in kind of various different careers, retail and other types of stuff. But I suppose the big passion for me at the time was kind of health and fitness. So ended up really kind of working through a lot of independent sort of gyms. And really the kind of prime driver really for me getting into kind of marketing really was that kind of initial piece because I ended up looking after for some quite big network gyms, their kind of membership side of things. So that was really my first delve into direct marketing. You know, you put an ad in a paper or you do a direct mail, somebody comes in and buys a membership. So did that for about six, seven years and had some really interesting times. So ended up working for the Sanctuary Group, kind of trade testing therapists for those guys to go out to the Middle East and open spas and spent a year trade testing therapists, you know. I had no idea. Yeah, no, it's a great job. Wow. Absolutely loved it. And the only trouble with it was at that time, the market was kind of so small that I kind of reached a natural ceiling. And I kind of got bored, if I'm honest with you. I kind of have this energy that sort of I want to challenge myself all the time. So what I decided to do, we moved up to the northwest with my uh, wife, just so she could kind of be close to her family at the time. And decided at that point that I was actually going to stop doing that and move into a pure kind of marketing role and the simple way to do that was to kind of stop what I was doing uh, take my postgraduate in uh, marketing so kind of took six months off to kind of kick it off and go back to university and then kind of started working for various agencies up in the northwest and kind of went from kind of just blagging a job really in a really small agency of kind of two of us where we were helping startups 
kind of really bring in customers. And that was the sort of full marketing mix of sort of working with uh, B2B networking, kind of promotional advertising, media, all that type of stuff. And then effectively worked through about three or four different agencies over a number of years, kind of worked with house building, which kind of helped me with my property investment uh, side of things. So as you know, I kind of invested in properties for 25, 30 years before selling them all. And yeah, just kind of really ended up doing some really interesting type um, work. And then really in about 2008, 2009, ended up with a credit crunch, kind of going uh, down south and going client side and ended up with an agency as a supplier who was based back where I was living, actually, believe it or not, back in Manchester. And long story short, I ended up working for them. They were my supplier for about 18 months. And they eventually offered me a position and I kind of went there. And at the time I was working in public sector and had done on various kind of investment projects. So things like London 2012 and a lot of the kind of business zone investments that were happening. And I went into the agency um, Creative Links or Havas Links as they are now and effectively headed up everything but healthcare. So I kind of became head of public sector, which at the time was kind of booming. And then government sort of, and that sort of area sort of closed down. And I ended up coming over to kind of healthcare. And I remember at the time, one of the owners of the business saying to me, well, the door's been there, Richard. We've just been expecting you to kind of kick it down for about 18 months. So come on in. So that's really how I started in kind of healthcare. It was sort of a mistake, <laughs> hate to say, and loved being there, you know, started off with kind of one client, one therapy area, really kind of restricted with what we would do because we were a young agency. I was person number 40-ish at the wow. time. And by the time I left kind of five years later, we were just under about 300 people. So we'd gone through this kind of astronomical growth. And a big part of it really was the kind of entrepreneurial sort of spirit that I really enjoyed. And it kind of goes back to the time in the health clubs, you know, whereby you're placing an advert, someone comes in with that advert and buys something or does something. It was back to that, you know, I'd go from, shall we look at opening an office in Paris? Because that's where kind of one of my clients were through to let's look at bringing on another service and absolutely loved it. And then Really, my time kind of changed quite dramatically there, really within the space of one afternoon, where um, I got a phone call from her and she'd been diagnosed with quite an aggressive form of cancer. And obviously, at that point, she was kind of 150 sort of miles away. So decided kind of overnight at that point that work didn't matter anymore, went in on the Friday, that actually phoned on the Friday. So I was out on the road seeing a client and just basically said, and to the owners of the business, I kind of need to prioritise other things at this point in my life. And God love them. And I can't thank them enough. At that point, I got a call later that afternoon where all four or five of them had got together. And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, th- there are more important things in life. And at that point, I kind of literally just gave up sort of agency life from that Thursday morning going in on the tram in Manchester through to the Friday night, life had kind of changed 360 degrees. And I'm ever thankful for that moment, purely because I'd worked for healthcare at that point for about five years, and I'd seen it as a job. After that point, my mum had such a rare form of lung cancer at that point, we couldn't actually access any information anywhere. There was nothing. There was one small clinical trial in one of the southern states in America, but there was nothing that anyone could tell me about this you know what the life expectancy was where there were patient groups or anything at all 
and that really became at that point a passion. I knew I would get back into healthcare at that point, and I knew what I actually had to do was forget messing about with, you know, bringing in money and looking for new business. My real passion was about putting information in the hands of the patients and their families at that point. I don't want anyone to feel like I did on that weekend, you know, searching Google, looking for, you know, this particular ultra rare cancer and finding nothing because, you know, it's the bleakest of the bleak. So I kind of went off and looked after my mother, you know, for a number of months and then ended up totally by chance um, getting a job in the NHS for three years, working in their patient engagement and communications piece and worked with them for about three years. And the big piece of work that we did, we were configuring the hospital for Milton Keynes and Bedford, you know, sort of seeing between the two hospitals who would have one service over another. And a part of my work was actually engaging with about 250 patient groups in Milton Keynes. I mean, I didn't even know there were that many sort of patient groups in there, but sort of asking them if we change this service from one place to another, how's that going to affect you? What impact does that have on your life? And actually what it did was it, got me the total exposure to how services and healthcare impact at the kind of coalface. And it was really quite interesting to see the way that decisions that are made kind of over here almost affect, you know, everybody, hundreds, thousands of people across Milton Keynes and, and Bedfordshire. And it was really interesting. And one thing I would say from that, we held, you know, so many kind of events in both towns but the big question for me was the diversity and getting people involved in that. You know, you would see a lot of middle-aged kind of semi-professional, semi-retired type people. You know, you wouldn't see the kind of diverse patient groups that were there because they just didn't want to engage at that point. And again, that kind of the back of my mind made me think, right, I need to change this. Something needs to change with healthcare that has a long-term benefit for engaging everybody. And I worked there for three years. I love my time in the kind of NHS and just literally as the NHS does, it kind of grows, it changes. And I ended up being asked to join one of the publicist agencies. I know you're ex-publicist, Jenny. And that was particularly interesting to work with those guys for about eight, nine months on fertility and IVF before getting headhunted to go into a kind of management consultancy. This is the consultancy no one's ever heard of. It's called Cognizant, who are a multi-billion pound consultancy. Started off, it's the old Dun & Bradstreet agency from kind of the 80s and 90s. And effectively what they do, they work across many markets and healthcare was one of the markets. And they were setting up a European life sciences um, agency called Cadian. And I was kind of person number two in there with my links experience kind of asked to expand that business, which effectively was kind of digital consultancy and worked there for four or five years before coming on to Earthware, which I've been at now for just over a year. Absolutely loving the kind of variety. And I've gone from Cognizant, which has got 10,000 employees ish down to an agency where we literally know each other we're kind of 34 35 people agile kind of light of foot really getting in and really making a difference in terms of you know digital healthcare and giving access to um, patients to clinicians and working with some really cool kind of clients funnily enough total synergy with you know ultra rare cancers and things like that totally by chance who knew so that's kind of the career path Well, first of all, Richard, I'm so sorry to hear about your mum. 
And that is an incredible story that that has driven you to do what you do now. And I think that your passion always comes across every time we have an interaction. And now I understand why. And I didn't really know your background and story, but I think that's phenomenal. And actually, interestingly, just a side note, I was talking to a global procurement person for a huge pharmaceutical company. And they said, we were talking about the pitching process. You can tell when an agency person comes in that has a private story that they connect to what they're doing, that you can see it in their eyes and the passion comes through. And for us, we love it. So I think it's phenomenal. So incredible. Thank you so much for explaining. I would love to ask you, because obviously your background tells me that you had loads and loads of client contacts and when we met I mean you just connected with me so quickly I felt like I'd known you for ages and this is what I found with people in account management and on the kind of managerial side they're just natural communicators which obviously you are so let's start talking about account management because I'd love to get your views on this because you are so experienced what in your view is the value of the account management role both for the client and the agency so that's a really interesting question and probably one that kind of as a, a leadership team at Earthworld, we speak a lot around, you know, kind of not only from our own perspective, but kind of what clients need and value from their perspective. I think from a, a client perspective, a really good account person will be totally independent. And I think that's really important. So they're not seen as kind of just exploring the borders of their own agency and their own agency's services. The whole thing about having a really meaningful client relationship is mutually beneficial. So there are times whereby the agency that I'm working for at the time may not be best suited to do a particular challenge that the client's got. And I think for me, the kind of real secret source with a good account person is to say, look, this isn't for us, but I actually do know somebody that I think you're really going to get on with. And the reason is because they offer X, Y, Z and the benefits are ABC. So I think the real importance is to realize that, you know, you can't be everything to every person. And I think that's a real shift from kind of when I started in the industry where it was just promise everything, we'll sort it out kind of behind the scenes. In terms of an agency sort of perspective, the the kind of real benefit, I think, to being a good account manager is that you're expected to kind of become the expert, certainly within your own therapy area. So, you know, when you look at the huge amount of conditions that are within sort of life sciences, you know, there's no way that if I'm looking for an ultra rare disease account person that I will find somebody that's kind of dealt with this. I mean, one of our clients just diagnosed 2000 patients a year in the whole of Europe. So, you know, there's no way that that account person is going to put that particular skill on their kind of CV. So what we're looking for with the account person actually within Earthware is to become that expert so that they can then speak to their clients around what's happening with their competitors what's actually happening within the kind of regulatory stuff. And it's really about understanding the environment and beginning to signpost to them, you know, what's coming over the hill. And that's the real kind of value. That lifts somebody beyond the kind of order taker, I think. You've mentioned a couple of things here that is, to a certain extent, out of the account manager's hands. One is positioning of the agency. You know, if an account manager, as you say quite rightly, you know, guides the client, builds that trust by saying, actually, we're not the ones for you, but we know who can. 
it also depends on the philosophy of the agency, doesn't it? From a leadership perspective, are we well defined? And also what's our approach to new business? And then secondly of all, if we want to become an expert in a space, in a particular therapy area, for example, you have to, again, be assigned the the right accounts as an account manager. I'm just thinking from your perspective, because you've been through, like I have, the whole career journey. You say morals. No, not at all. Experience. Experience, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. You know, sometimes some of these decisions are out of your hands. And then you end up with the, I mean, I'm sounding a bit negative, but you end up with the consequences. I don't have time and the bandwidth to get good at this specialism because I don't have the time. I'm just in this delivery mode, etc. So there's a certain Mm. amount of responsibility. That's what I'm saying. Do you agree? Sure, that there is. I mean, what I encourage everybody that kind of starts really on a new therapy area is to um, begin to understand, you know, what that external area looks like, what that kind of whole environment looks like. So speaking specifically about healthcare, there are a certain amount of congresses that happen each year, normally to find out what your congress is and find out what was spoken about last year, because that's probably going to set the benchmark of what's being discussed for the next 12 months. Then find out kind of who the media are within your sector, who the main kind of two, three titles are. Just set up a newsletter subscription, you know, whether you do that daily, weekly, whatever. You know, I have three or four newsletters that ping into my inbox each morning. I probably don't read one of them most mornings, but occasionally I'll see something on a headline and think, oh, actually, that's quite interesting. And you'll be amazed by kind of osmosis over a period of time, how quickly you can sort of pick up very, very quick information. And then you've got quick bit of LinkedIn research, just find two or three sort of influencers and begin to follow them. And you'll be absolutely amazed how quickly you can find information, whatever sector you're in, you know, whether you're building cars as an engineer or whether you're building homes, you know, whatever, you will find something somewhere out there in the internet whereby you can just begin very simply to get information and access it kind of very quickly. You know, I think this is such a good tip for people that perhaps are listening and thinking, you know, where do I start? I think it's some fantastic tips because I think sometimes you get so bogged down with what you're doing, the delivery of the project, that you forget to look at the external perspective. And I certainly myself wish I'd done more of that and someone had guided me a little bit to kind of always make it mandatory because it would have benefited me so much more. You know, when you're sitting in front of your client, you want to understand their environment, the market, the competitors, you know, what's happening in the company. And also for those that are continual learners like you and I, I know we both are very interested in personal development. And so that's great advice. And I would love to dive in to your point about working for a management consultancy, right, Richard? Mm. Uh, You and I have had a discussion about this, but tell me what threat do you think the management consultancy groups pose for maybe independent agencies or agencies that haven't been bought out by a a group? What's your view on the landscape? Yeah, I mean, just to really clarify, uh, management consultancies, I I work for Cognizant. These are the people like Ernst Young, Deloitte, Tata, all, all the kind of other Uh, management type consultancies and and what they tend to do they tend to work across many verticals as they call it of which life sciences tends to be one so they'll work in banking and entertainment and that type of thing and they're usually kind of centered uh, around regions so you'll have 
EU, US and Asia Pacific. So these guys are um, a huge threat these days to agencies. And, and the worrying thing is a lot of people may not even realise this. And the reason being what's happened is that they traditionally started off with a kind of big IT projects. So, you know, if you need a CRM system or an email system, these guys would specify and work with particular clients to put them in. And they have a process that they call land and expand. And land and expand basically is we're going to go into a client and we're going to do one project. But whilst we're in doing that project, what we're actually going to do is source new business while we're in there. And, you know, I'm just pulling this as an example. If someone's putting in a brand new email system, the add-ons to that tend to be, you know, let's look at an email strategy for this particular market. Let's look at a creative strategy that will drive people from email to the website. And suddenly what you end up doing is beginning to look at, through Land and Expand, a series of connectors that will take people through different projects. And what's happened with these big agencies, these big consultancies, is they found they didn't have the expertise, certainly within life sciences, right? So they would not get in front of the brand person or the market access person because they were very much viewed as IT. So what they ended up doing about seven, eight, nine years ago was beginning to procure small specialist agencies and what they would do if somebody had a particular need in a niche, I don't know, doing a strategy for a new drug that's being launched. What they could actually do with their purchases is bring someone in from that agency that could talk to procurement and could talk to the brand manager and the technology officer on a kind of life science one-to-one type approach. So it's incredibly kind of proactive what they've done with their sort of procurement process. And then what they've ended up doing as well, if there is a um, multi-agency approach, so they can end up having three or four different agencies that they've bought coming in to shore up one solution. What that can actually mean as well is for the big ticket projects, because they're being you know, put between the different agencies, they then don't actually have to go to the tender process. So they can quite often be seen as being below the certain value. You know, they're just apportioning 25% with each agency to kind of make it easier. So if you're not even being invited to the table to put forward a solution, then that's obviously a massive kind of then in sort of new business. So do you think that traditional agencies are not used to this more commercial view of landing a new client and then, you know, strategically placing themselves as a land and expand kind of approach? Do you think that Mm. they're just a lot more proficient with their kind of way of developing business? And that's why they are a threat to the current agencies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been on a call with a a colleague where, and I'm not even sure we should have been invited. I think the client invited us on by mistake. It's when I wasn't working on on the kind of management consultancy side. And I actually um, game played with my colleague beforehand what questions would kind of been asked through this process. And I know because I've done it, I've been on that side. So I was able to kind of game play. And what they were doing was beginning to understand where future demand would be so the kind of projects that people were looking to bring in kind of 12 months 24 months down the line but then also looking at where the gaps are with kind of current suppliers and then looking to fill those gaps so it's it's a really interesting kind of approach in terms of um, looking at 
new business. You know, they're looking two, three years down the line, whereas the traditional agency model is you might have a relationship with someone, but, you know, suddenly you'll get a, a request for information. And it's kind of very much the here and now. If you ask majority of agencies, you know, what new business are you going to be doing in six months' time? They have no idea because it's all reactionary, whereas these guys are able to look kind of further out. And again, just one real USP that they have is the fact that they have what they call a client partner at every site. They pay for a person to be on site of the major players. And this person really kind of quarterbacks any client queries, questions, new business opportunities, anything like that. And it's their kind of role to identify, okay, this particular client has this issue and therefore let's just see if we can fit some of the agency services into that. So that client partner is really, really key um, and they're highly visible, you know, throughout all of the kind of pharma offices throughout the world, you know, and every management consultancy will have that. I think this is so interesting and I hope that the agency leaders are thinking about this because, I mean, is it in your opinion because the agencies don't have the skills or the commercial acumen to operate in a way that the management consultancies do? Or do you think there's still everything to play for and that they need to be aware of how these management consultancies operate so that they can then be a lot more proactive with their development of that client business? Yeah, I think, interestingly, there's a lot of non-awareness around the kind of agency world that the RFP and tender model has existed, you know, since Noah was a lad. And, you know, everyone kind of expects that. You know, if you you own a business or you're an agency lead, you you know the process that it's going to come through. And, you know, it doesn't change whether you're, you know, working for one of the big network agencies or whether you're working for a small agency. The way that these guys operate, they operate at scale. And what they are effective at doing is identifying an opportunity and then really kind of expanding. It's almost like water that goes into a crack in a rock. And over a period of time, it kind of freezes and gets bigger. And that's effectively what they're trying to do. They're trying to leverage their learning and their activity. And at the end of the day, if they can stop a job, go into a tender process, then they've succeeded. It's a bit like, um, I know we both listened to him in, in the kind of two bobs podcast, but you've got Blair Ennis, right, who yeah. talks about if you can take the kind of tender process out of a pricing discussion, then you're eight tenths there. You kind of already won because what that means is you're having that one-on-one conversation with procurement i mean let's not also forget though that those management consultancies because their ability to plan so far in the future they're looking to add value to the client business so a client you know it's only going to gain isn't it so that's the other thing to consider i mean since you work for the management consultancy richard i mean subsequently to that obviously the management consultancies like accenture have been the most acquisitive haven't they so they've been buying up loads of different creative agencies i mean do you have any insight into what's happening within those walls because now they've bought the knowledge the expertise they can speak the client language they've got everything really to set them up for success to open so many more doors exactly right so what they end up doing is looking at the kind of geographies that each of the agencies kind of serve so for example the agency that I worked for within Cognizant had really strong North American footprint and quite a rich heritage, actually been going for about 20 years, kind of really well known. Outside of the US, even as far as Canada, 
totally not known at all because they worked within that kind of regulatory framework. So there's two options at that point. If you want to come into the EU, do you buy another agency to give you that access or do you grow your existing agency across? And at the time, the decision was made to grow the agency across, which is obviously kind of more organic, it's sort of slower going. But I think at the time, in terms of that sort of digital consultancy that we had at that time, it was reasonably unique within healthcare. You know, I could probably think of three or four other agencies that were doing really kind of cutting edge stuff that, that sort of Cognizant were looking to. So it was easier to actually kind of grow that element to it. But it's very much a kind of long term view with this. You know, I was given as a kind of new business, and I'm using that term loosely because like I say I was the second person into the business. So we were both really responsible for it. We were given a kind of hiatus of about 12, 18 months to kind of say, okay, we're not worried at this point in terms of what business you kind of bring in. We're almost in an awareness phase here because you've got no heritage over here in the EU. You've got no clients, no work. And I was kind of aware very much that sort of when I'm speaking to clients, I'm speaking at it from a US lens, which from, you know, an EU perspective is kind of very, very different, certainly in healthcare with all the regulatory frameworks. So, you know, again, management consultancies are able to do that as a new business person within an agency. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone getting a 12, 18 month window. It, it doesn't happen, right? That's so true. But so, <laughs> so just before we leave this subject, because I think this is really interesting for everyone, just from a market perspective, on competitive market perspective, where do you think independent agencies do have the advantage? Because you've seen both sides of the fence, where mm. do you think we do have the advantage now? How would you suggest that people play it when they know that what you've just described is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the big kind of advantage for agencies is to explore your niche. Every agency exists because they're good at something, not good at everything. And what these big management consultancies are about is really throwing mud until it kind of sticks. So, you know, there are questions with some of the outputs around quality. You know, the advantage of kind of the management consultancies are to give you an idea did one particular launch and we had a chase the sun model. So the client was actually based in Germany. And what would happen with the digital development was there'd be work that was going on for that client in Barcelona. When that office finished, it was handed off to the West Coast for the day so they could carry on, you know, coding and doing their ones and zeros and whatever it is, the, the great work that coders do. And then they were handing it off to Asia. And then by the time I came back in in the morning, would effectively have been working on it kind of 24 hours a day. Wow. You know, and that that's the reality of the kind of global marketplace that we're in. But what the large consultancies can't compete on is the quality aspect. So, you know, if I think about some of the services that I've plugged into global, social listening, you know, a lot of people that listen to this will understand social listening. And we had a very specific requirement around that, around some of the kind of technical medical terms and it just was not feasibly possible with this model to get somebody on social media that kind of understood that so somebody within an agency that kind of is working within that sort of framework understanding the kind of whole treatment sort of path will be able to talk to the client around uh, terminology and seo and things like that 
that the management consultancies kind of wouldn't, you know. So what I would say to every agency owner, explore your niche, break it down into what you're good at and do more of it because um, they won't be able to do it to the level that you are. That's such sound advice. Go deep, go narrow, go experts, because then you become even more valuable, don't you? So fantastic advice. Richard, I know you're, like me, a perpetual learner. And I know that you just absorb, you read so many different books, like we we swap book notes, don't we? Tell me, if you can distill it, because I'd be really interested to get your golden nuggets of wisdom that you've learned that someone listening in the account management role would benefit from. Can you kind of give us your top five things that you've learned in your career which have been the most helpful? Yeah, sure. So I think the big thing for me, I'm a terribly early riser. I just, I don't sleep. It drives my wife insane. But I basically show up every day in terms of work. And I know that I need to get real quality stuff done early. So that kind of, for me, is is genuinely a big thing. Quality work for the day where I'm kind of really getting sort of mission critical stuff. Think about on your own terms, when do I work best? Rearrange your calendar around that. You know, some people are night people. That's great. No problem with that. Just make sure that, you know, you have capacity and time to be able to do that. I think the big thing as well that kind of stood out for me, I realised very early on account management, it's a bit like a pyramid. That's kind of the best way that sort of I describe it. And you have, you know, at each of the points, you've got qualifications, you've got experience and you've got insight that forms the base. And then at the very top, you've got kind of standout. And that makes the perfect kind of account person. So for me, in terms of each of those points, it's copyrighted, by the way, Jenny. You're not allowed to use <laughs> it. <laughs> I won't, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Any of those points, every account person, in fact, probably everybody in an agency has got weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. And it's about identifying what weakness on those four points it is. And then really beginning to bolster it. So for me, I genuinely don't have any kind of medical training or background. So a lot for me is around ongoing training and kind of absorbing myself in that kind of medical sphere, because I realise that that for me, you know, probably isn't where I'm going to be on a par with somebody that's, you know, come out of university with a, a bioscience degree. So, you know, just be aware of yourself and think about, you know, qualifications, experience, or insight. Can I offer insight in my therapy area or whichever agency that you're in? And then on the top, do I stand out to my client? How do I make a difference to my client? And the way that you may make a difference is just look outside. So um, the big thing for me, like you say, I do learn a lot. I try and look outside of healthcare. There's a lot of lessons outside. So, you know, when I'm on the exercise bike at ridiculous o'clock, trying to kind of burn away the evening hours, the night hours and stuff. I'm on YouTube and I'm trying to find, you know, learnings from all different types of sectors and kind of business leaders and just kind of reabsorb them, you know, podcasts and things like that. That's kind of a, a real sort of big thing to make that kind of understanding of self. Fantastic advice and great insight. Can you think of any examples where you've kind of looked at another industry and it's given you an idea? for what you're currently doing I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here yeah no 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 that's fine so I I think really what's kind of quite cool at the moment is the social media type thing so traditionally what happens is healthcare and social media don't mix because healthcare is so regulated 
what you can and can't say and actually who, who you can speak to and who you can't. Traditionally, they kind of run away a little bit from kind of social media because anything goes viral, right? You, you just genuinely can't control it. So what has been really interesting for me, I worked probably about two and a half years ago with a particular client's product. And what the problem was, doctors actually didn't realise that it was this particular condition. And what it meant was the patient went, I think it was about eight years without being diagnosed. Now, it wasn't anything big. You can live with this kind of day to day. What it did do, it actually meant that you had an unbelievable need to go to the toilet very, very quickly. So as a patient actually suffering from this, it's incredibly restricting. You know, you couldn't even pop out for a loaf of bread because, you know, you just had to be somewhere. So imagine going eight years being like that. You couldn't, you know, go in long car journeys to see family or anything like that. And what we actually did was we came through a series of YouTube videos about the kind of whole condition. And we did a focus group beforehand, ran the campaign and the focus group afterwards. And the diagnosis period reduced incredibly. It went from eight years through to eight months, literally that quickly. And it was all about bringing awareness up. Now, normally the clients that we kind of deal with just wouldn't entertain anything at all on YouTube. It's kind of, you know, it's bad, but it's kind of learning really from other industries what works. Mm, Love that example. So going to where the patients could possibly be and then bring it to their attention. Because actually, I mean, you and I don't giggle anymore, do we, about healthcare stuff. You know, sometimes when you talk to other people in non-healthcare agencies, they kind of giggle at all these kind of medical conditions that we talk about on a daily basis. But this is really debilitating, isn't it, for a subset of the population. And you just think, wow, can you imagine being part of that as well, being part of actually genuinely helping someone to completely change their life, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, they go effectively from being some type of hermit, you know, self-imposed kind of restriction about, oh, my God, I can't do this, that and the other. And you just open a world of possibilities. And it's through a channel that kind of hasn't really been explored too much. So, and again, it kind of goes back to how I started. It's having that kind of positive effect and being able to see that effect. That's why I love what I do it just it makes a difference to so many people's lives it's brilliant and it's very proactive isn't it the fact that you took that external perspective you saw what was working in another industry you were challenging enough to come to your client with that idea which I think is fantastic to think look guys you know because you must have had some trust there with the client for them to have accepted it Richard I want to ask you about the trends that you're seeing in the medcoms industry specifically you know what are you seeing in terms of clients expectations from their agencies from their account management teams can you give us a flavor of what you're seeing yeah so I think when I started back in the day back when Neil was a lad there was very much siloed thinking so you had an agency that kind of dealt with one thing and what I mean by that was you were either kind of heavy science and you were medical education or you were medical promotion the kind of you know the nice stuff with advertising and websites and that type of things or you were kind of promotion and events and what's happened over kind of last two three years is they're all beginning to merge clients really now are beginning to see everything kind of being interconnected and part of that really is the sort of digital thinking that we do at earthware is kind of beginning to connect all these dots that were so disparate so long ago beginning to say okay what we can do now is begin to say 
yes, I may be doing some traffic activity. I may be asking um, a certain amount of doctors to go to this particular platform. But at that point, what is it we kind of need them to do? Do we need them to go to an event or whatever? So there's that kind of element. We've then got a blur around with clients kind of wanting to deal with separate agencies for each of them. So quite often in the past, there would be kind of three, four, five agencies within the sort of relationship. And that's kind of becoming less kind of a sort of standout, really. And then I think the biggest is a lot of clients now, and quite rightly, are asking to collaborate on whatever it is, the final campaign, the final activity that comes out. I think way back in the day, we kind of almost... We almost used to take the client brief, go off for two weeks, come back and present it back, you know, ta-da, what do you think of this? And the good thing about Earthware is we do a challenge, a four-week challenge that we speak about. And what we do is we engage the client for one session over four weeks, a bit like your accelerator program. And again, we've copyrighted four weeks. So don't think. <laughs> um, so. I'm just writing down four weeks. <laughs> What, what we end up doing with that really is beginning to explore, you know, the user personas and the pain gains. And ultimately from that, what we do is rather than have clients come into us and say, we need a website, we kind of start from the back end and work through. So rather than coming to us, you know, say, I need a website, that's a solution, right? Quite often the client hasn't thought about, so what is it I'm trying to say? Who am I trying to say it to? And what do I want them to do? So the whole process is about turning that on its head and, you know, quite often that website that the client wants probably isn't the right solution for it. But again, working in collaboration, we can kind of take them through. They sprinkle on their expertise in their therapy area and we kind of sprinkle on the sort of user experience type elements that we do. I love that because it's really actually saying to the client rather than them self-diagnosing and saying, look, this is the solution we need. Just make it happen. Any advice for an account manager thinking, oh, how could I have that potentially challenging conversation to think, no, we're not going to actually do what you've asked us. We're going to take you back a step, you know, to be perceived rather than in order to take a more of a trusted advisor. Any advice for an account manager listening, thinking, I need to really have that kind of conversation with my client. And I know I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the old topic, me and you always talk about this, don't we? You're the same, yeah. <laughs> trusted advisor. Yeah, so this is really interesting. I mean, what I would say is it's okay to be an order taker if you're new into the industry. You have to kind of get to know it. What I would say is if you're with your clients just there to kind of take a change to a headline or a change to a message, then I'd say you're actually on shaky ground. Okay, because what's happening is the client really isn't valuing what you can do. What they're doing is actually buying what you do on price. And who's to say, you know, you do it at £100. Who's to say agency B comes along and, you know, says, I'll do it for 50 Then where do you go? So that whole kind of risky element, the sort of long term is, is kind of mitigated by trust. So what I would say is with your client, Talk to them about what their future plans are. So kind of, I know you're big on this, the QBR, the quarterly business review. Talk to them about, so we're in 2021, we've got the final quarter coming up. What do you want to achieve for it? What do you want to do in 2022? So really get under the hood of your client, understand them. Set up all these alerts, like I said, about what events are happening, what the trends are happening in the sector, set up your Google alerts, do whatever you need to do. Become an expert and don't be frightened to approach your client and talk to them about, so this is what's happening within your sector. 
These are the trends that we've seen in the last three, four months. This is where we think it's going and this is how it impacts you. And then bolt onto the end of that, the old FOMO piece, right? So you talk about, and again, I know you're massive on this. You talk about the status quo. So what do we do? If you're doing now, dear client, what stays the same? This is where you're likely to be in 12 months time. But if you take this additional route, this is going to be the uplift that you would expect. So that's what I would say in terms of order takers. Don't be frightened to kind of switch it around. At the end of the day, the client will value your conversations about what's happening in their sector, their trade, their competitors. They will absorb it like a sponge. And suddenly you go from this supplier through to, I wonder what Richard's got to say about this. And you'll be amazed how quickly it turns around because it really does. Love it. Thank you so much, Richard. And I recognise a lot of the things that you've just mentioned there. Thank you. Yeah, you've copyrighted yeah, those. <laughs> you lay off those bits. So let me ask you, like, what inspires you, Richard? Can you share some sources that you go to to get inspired? What are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to that may be also useful for the audience listening? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, personally, I'm kind of going off piece a little bit. I always have a 10-year plan. So I'm not sure if we've discussed this or not. So from a personal level, pretty much from kind of my 30s, I've always had a 10-year plan about what I wanted to kind of do. So kind of 30 to 40, I wanted to kind of learn as much as possible. That was kind of a bit, bit of a cultural thing. And then 40 to 50, I decided, you know what? I want to become a taekwondo black belt. Absolutely. Never done anything like it. I didn't see that one coming. No, exactly. And now as I turned 50, I thought, right, I've had enough of that. I'm I'm now kind of madly training for triathlon with the the aim of qualifying as a, a really kind of average age grouper for UK triathlon. So personally, I kind of always set goals sort of personally and they kind of drive me it drives my wife mad um (laughs) professionally so i mean i'm an avid reader i mean looking around now i've got a great book art of client services robert solomon about third reader that i read that every kind of three four years great tip for anyone starting in the industry about 50 odd tips in there and always pick something up from that podcasts so i love two bobs I love David C. Baker. I know you've had him on. Um, cantankerous old man. I love He's him. amazing. I love him. Right. If, if you work in agencies, you have to listen to uh, two bobs. Not every episode will hit the sweet spot with you, but they're great in terms of looking at things they've spoken about, you know, how to deal with creative, how to deal with pricing policy, you know, all that type of stuff. And Blairiness is great. And then I've got the usual kind of podcast, you know, um, marketing over coffee and sweathead. And then, you know, just trying to find people on LinkedIn and, and sort of YouTube. So, I mean, my kind of big influences are because of my marketing background, you know, people like Seth Godin, who I absolutely love. And, you know, Simon Sinek, which I think everybody kind of knows about now, but he's still putting out some amazing stuff. And then on LinkedIn, kind of people that I've sort of networked with for, you know, 10, 15 years in kind of EU. So I follow, you know, people like Gary Monk and Frank Cumley and people like that. So I try and have a learning touch point most days, whether I'm on an exercise bike or running a crazy distance or, you know, get a podcast on headphones or, you know, read as I'm commuting somewhere. I think the main thing I would say to anybody, find what works for you. And, and, you know, just explore it. 
just keep learning. The more you learn, the more you learn. I promise you. The more you earn as well, I think. That's that's another saying, isn't it? Richard, thank you for sharing all those tips. They're fantastic tips. I really appreciate it. Tell me, who would you like to be contacted by and how can people reach you? So people can reach me on LinkedIn, Richard Long, or I think the uh, URL is Richard B. Long. My middle name's Blair, which is probably why I like the two. Wow, interesting. (laughs) So many I've learned, so much I've learned about you. There you go. In terms of people to contact me, really anybody that works kind of within healthcare, that that genuinely in terms of uh, my passion and my goal is about giving people access to the healthcare that they deserve. So, you know, I'm happy to speak with kind of like-minded people to sort of talk through, you know, any challenges or anything that they have. So, you know, feel free. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Richard. This has been amazing. I appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing so many golden nuggets of wisdom and insight. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. Anytime. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Richard. I certainly did. If you're working in an agency account management role at any level and you'd like a non-salesy approach to add more value to your clients and grow those existing accounts, then check out my Account Accelerator program. We start again on September the 23rd. If you'd like more details, drop me a line at jenny at accountmanagementskills.com and we can see whether it's right for you. And here is Tim Moore, just to finish us off, who is an account director for Sonin, which is an app development agency. He talks about the results he had from the Account Accelerator program, what he didn't expect to get out of the program and why he recommends it. I look forward to seeing you on the next one. You gave us three kind of, not scripts, but but, uh, agendas for a meeting. And I essentially ran one today. So out of the back of exactly what you said, that we will get to pitch for it and it will be £100,000 worth of work. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, there was a couple of other bits on the same call that said, Oh, maybe you guys could look at this and maybe you could look at that. So yeah, really positive. I didn't imagine I would get the validation on the quote. I thought I would still leave unsure whether I could say those things because we have employed sales consultants in the past. They've been quite salesy and they said, if you ask this question, I thought, oh, I can't, still can't do it. So I didn't imagine that I would be confident in fulfilling it. I thought it'd be a step towards it, but it's kind of a few steps towards where we want to be. So it's a real positive. And to anyone looking to formalize their account management process, to actually put kind of building blocks to create what I consider a proper account management process. Because you can employ account manager and say, look after clients and make sure they're happy and try and win some work, which I think a lot of agencies do. But yeah, anyone looking to take that further and actually build something replicatable. And I believe that our uh, forecasting for our existing client spend is going to get dramatically more accurate.